and welcome to the Vet Space Ireland podcast with your hosts, me, Michelle Maguire, and Hazel Mullins. I'd just like to thank our sponsors for this podcast, our recruitment partners, Lloyd and Cowan. It's an absolute nightmare at the moment recruiting, so make sure you give the guys a call. They are always on hand to give you advice and help place you with a really good candidate. So you can find their details in the show notes. We are delighted to be joined on this episode of the podcast by Charles Cosgrove, companion animal vet and owner at Village Vets. Hello, Charles, and welcome to the Vets Face Ireland podcast. It's great to have you here. I can see the Village Vets sign in the background, so you're you're working late by the looks of it. Yeah, look, great to be here. Yeah, I uh, have a house full of small children, so uh, better to be here now uh, in the office with you guys uh, uninterrupted. Hopefully. Um, so yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> my, my sanctuary. <laughs> um, so look, Charles, I'm sure that most people listening to this um probably know who you are, but maybe they don't know your story or so tell us where it all started and your veterinary journey so far. Right, yeah. Um look, my dad is a vet. He graduated from Trinity, actually. Uh Trinity uh had a vet school back in his day um it was 12 places every year i think and wow. um, he graduated there at 74 and then uh, i was born a few years later and uh, so i left ucd vet school in 2001 um repeated the leaving tw- repeated the leaving once uh, to get in and uh, <laughs> it's so long ago now i can't remember um but i uh, uh, left there in 2001 and at the time, it was just uh, foot and mouth that had uh, broken oh, out yeah. in the UK about a year beforehand. So there was a bit like now, there was a huge amount of jobs. Um, there have been very few jobs kind of every year up to foot and mouth. And then foot and mouth created a huge, sucked an awful lot of people out from Ireland, a lot of vets out from Ireland over to the UK. So we came out into our pick up the jobs in, in Ireland at the time. Uh, so I my first job was down in... Cathedral Vets, which is now Crescent Vets, down in Limerick with uh, oh, Hugh O'Callaghan yeah. and Mike County. And uh, I worked down there in, in small animals. Um, so I grew up in actually a dairy farm. So we had a dairy farm at home and milking cows and weekends and going home, even between my final year exams, going home to the exams, milk cows and calving cows and all that type of stuff. And having grown up in a, with dad being a vet um, and it was a mixed practice at the time. We had done a lot of uh, a lot of dairy farms around, um, but I suppose coming out of college, I kind of realised that maybe a bit like a lot of vets, and you go in thinking you're going to be capping cows for the rest of your days. Um, came out of college, probably more focused on small animals, and then a job came up available with Hugh and Mike down in Crescent Vets, and uh, it was a really good small animal job, really good small practice, and at the time, small animals wasn't as developed and wasn't as uh, hadn't evolved as much as it had na- as it is now so getting a really sort of prime good quality small animal job in an urban uh, area um, was really tough to get so I went down there got the job and was delighted and uh, worked away there really learned a load of small animal really busy practice city-based practice um, I think they were the only small practice at the time in Limerick if I remember right I can't remember now but um, 20 years ago, uh, but I um, really loved my time down there and um, met my current wife down there. 
and uh, went from current wife. Sorry, met my wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you have a previous one? <laughs> yeah, you, you did say you can. I have a new one it. next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So yeah, uh, I'm going red now. Am I going red? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to red. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I move on swiftly. Whole digging and all that. Um, so I went then to the UK a couple of lads went across to the UK a couple of my classmates went across to the UK and they got some they were working smaller practices in around London and the level of veterinary over there was way higher than what we were doing here and then it was London so you know between that and uh, the the bright lights of London we said I said I'd go across and um, uh, spent uh, about a year over there and uh, the job I had, we were just talking before we, we started this about sort of uh, different types of jobs. And it was a really, really good practice, but a very different culture and uh, didn't stay as long as I would like to stay in London. I kind of came home for a breather um, about a year after staying there. And my wife had just left college and or my, she was my wife and my girlfriend just left college. And we kind of hung around here and before you knew it then, before we knew it, life kind of local life got stuck into us and uh, I never left so yeah so that was uh, came home after London not intending to come home we intended to travel but uh, just got kind of uh, stuck into things here and um, kind of the rest was history. Into the routine. Into routine yeah into a safe space you know yeah. Um, but yeah look a couple of things happened at home and uh, dad kind of said look would you do you want to stay around and uh, kind of got sort of into the practice by not by design not by just by kind of happened I suppose look it was it was a it was a comfortable place for a while and um, just never left so yeah so that was kind of um that was kind of my uh, journey back home it wasn't incredibly long convoluted and go to Australia or Canada <laughs> um, but uh, yeah that's kind of uh, London was as far as it got and um but yeah came back and ended up here and um kind of the rest uh, back in mixed practice doing predominantly smalls um and then doing on call at the weekend it was one and three and then my dad said why am i doing on call here so we dropped it down to <laughs> one and two and like <laughs> but uh we soon realized that this wasn't gonna last as everyone knows one and two rota uh is pretty tough and um decided the only way to bulk up the rota was to try and uh, grow the practice and get more vets so that's kind of um that's kind of how it started really was trying to get a better rota you know that's how village vets what is village vets today started yeah it was um just wanted a better rota better quality of life my <laughs> wife is a teacher so she couldn't wrap her head and she came from a dairy farm as well but like you know one and two rota uh just didn't cut it for her you know and i wasn't getting much sympathy at home so um you know it was uh let's try and grow this and look it isn't a one and two rota isn't sustainable um you know unless it's a quiet rota but even at that you're kind of every second weekend every second night you're still married to the phone you know you can only go so far and you're still looking for you're a bit like uh your man out of the born identity you know looking for an exit in every room you go to you know <laughs> or you can run out of, out of the room at a the ring of a phone you know so um mm. yeah so it was about building the rota and that's kind of where it started you know I don't know if that gives you a rundown of my history so far. 
And was your, I was going to ask your wife, was actually your wife, Beth, but I assume that you met her while she was in Mary I, maybe when she was in Limerick, is it? She was doing, a, she was actually, she's a secondary school teacher. So she was oh, doing okay. her master's in, um, she was doing her master's in Limerick and then uh, in international tourism. And while she was doing it, uh, the Twin Towers happened. So international mm. tourism kind of took right. an, an extraordinary hit um yeah. you know like covid like shock um and uh, everything stopped like you know and um it, it very identical to covid to be honest like the, the, the similarities are just remarkable and um so while she's waiting for uh the tourism industry to open back up and for the international tourism to in industry to open back up um she did a h-dip down in cork and uh, ucc and uh, did a bit of subbing and the rest was history. Got into her comfort zone, as Michelle <laughs> said. And uh, yeah, got into teaching and loved it and uh, never looked back. And uh, yeah, she's uh, loving teaching now um, in secondary school up here in Rathout in County Mead. Very good. Yeah. I was going to say, is it all in County Mead <clears throat> this all happened? Yeah. So, dad's practice was. And... Yeah. So I live outside, just outside Dunboyne, between Dunboyne and Maynooth. And the practice would have been originally out of the house. And he uh, moved, he, he, he bought a practice, a one-man practice in Dunshotland and uh, back in 1980. And uh, while he was working in NCF at the time in the co-op, which is now Connacht Gold, and before he managed to get back, the um, owner died, um, the owner of the practice who was selling it to him died all of a sudden. So he actually had to come back that weekend that he heard he died and um so he started off in Dunshotland and that's kind of where I started off then and from there um I suppose looked at a lot of the guys he knew were becoming I suppose going to a stage of the life where they're retiring and he knew an awful lot of contacts in the industry as you would do when you're that la, la, that long in the industry and um doing veterinary and uh he conversations happened and uh, we uh, took on a practice in Cabra and then one in Dunboyne and um, after we took on the practice in Dunboyne my sister joined so my sister left UCD vet school in 2003 and spent some time up the north and uh, came back down then to join the practice um, when we acquired Dunboyne so we're probably six or seven vets at that stage um, wow. probably six vets and uh, Rota was a lot better. <laughs> So yeah. it really is a family affair then, your sister's a vet as well. Yes, yeah, and then to, to really make it uh, complicated or incestuous or whatever, she married my best friend from vet school. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a vet, she's a vet, I'm a vet. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Mairead, my wife, could probably pass her a vet, listen to vet conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's actually it's good to have a non-vet in the family because they actually stop you talking veterinary. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, when you shouldn't be talking veterinary, you know. So leave the uh, leave the op table in the clinic and don't be bringing it home to the kitchen, you know. So how many are you now all together, village vets? Many practices. Uh, we have uh, fifteen clinics at the moment. So wow. um, we've um, been very lucky. Uh, you know the circumstances. You know, I suppose we have a, a tremendous team with us, um, and they make things happen. They're really, really good guys and they're really, really passionate about doing good veterinary and improving the quality of veterinary. And 
you know, so yeah, we really kind of, all the clinics work independently. Um, and then we have people who've done certificates and are sort of focusing on those areas of, of what they did the certificate in, so surgery, dermatology, ophthalmology. So clients would travel to see these guys um, from one clinic to the other. Um, but otherwise they kind of, they're all, sort of all the clinics have their blood machines, x-rays, all the usual sort of stuff that you'd expect to find in a clinic. So we don't sort of have it like the UK where you have a hub and spoke or a central hospital and all the branches mm. refer to it. All these clinics are, are fully specced out, I suppose, um, as you would expect a single site clinic, you know. Very good. That's Fantastic. very impressive. Mm. Um, so Char Charles, tell us then, like, <coughs> Having gone from from that to where you guys are now, like what are um, any tips for for budding practice owners out there, or someone who's thinking about maybe starting out in their own or buying a practice? Or yeah, it's it, it's a really like that. That's a really exciting question. I always I love meeting people that are starting on that journey because I, I I love to share information and and I do. People contact me every now and again for I meet them for a cup of coffee and try and as was help them in whatever way I can because we're a small industry and it's a um it's such an exciting industry I, I feel and you know sometimes you can get locked away in your own world you know thinking that uh, no one else shares your pain or has walked in your shoes but there's loads of people I have and I've been very lucky to meet people along the way um who've shared loads of information with me and I've always been keen to to pass that on or or, or give back um and for someone it, that's starting on the journey of, of practice is to is to know where you want to be in five years time and then to aim for that you know and it always boils back down to when you're starting to learn how to cycle or learn a new sport or a new skill you know you're looking to you're looking at where you want to be you know so you know you want to you want to learn how to cycle your bike to the end of your driveway or you, you want to swim a kilometer um, or you want to do a triathlon or whatever it is, you know where you want to be. You know what the end point looks like. And when you're starting off in practice, what is the five-year plan? Is it to have a one and three rota? Is it to, um, you know, work a three-day week or and, and have other vets working with you that'll work three and three days with you or the, the opposite three days or whatever it is? Um, you know, so know why you're getting into setting up your own practice and know what you want um, in, in three to five years time. And if you know where you're going, it's not easy to get there, but it's easier to figure out how to get there. And you can say, right, that's where I want to get. So how am I going to break that into six month chunks or 12 month chunks? And who do I need? What skill sets do I need to get me there? So, you know, you're going to need a nurse, you're going to need a receptionist, you're going to need an x-ray machine or whatever it might be to get you to that point. Um, you can then start planning. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and it helps you galvanize your thoughts because sometimes, and I'm the worst for this, I'll have these great big ideas, um, but in reality, they're crap. So, you know, we can, <laughs> I know the people tell me they're crap. I mean, they point out- Not all your ideas, thoughts. Charles. Not all of them, not all of them. Trust me, you don't see the cutting room floor here. Um, and uh, it's important that you do have someone uh, to bounce these things off um, and to say well and give your perspective but look someone's not going to shoot you down and cut the legs from under and say your idea is crap here but to give your perspective 
Um, but to know, everyone will come back and say, right, where do you want to be? And how do you think this is going to grow? And then you can step it out from there. So I think from anyone that's setting out in practice, seek loads of advice from anywhere and anywhere and reach out to everyone, anyone you think of, ring, WhatsApp, look them up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever. And for every 10 or 20 contacts or messages you send out, you'll probably get five answers back or and maybe even only half of them will end up resulting in a cup of coffee. But don't take that as a, as a, as a negative thing. You know, people are busy. They've like other stuff going on in their lives and some people might even use social media. But reach out to as many people, pick as many brains as you can, get as much information, but know where you want to be in three to five years time. Don't get into something just because you're, you think it's a good idea or someone in the pub said it was a really good idea or, or you're pissed off at where you are at the moment. Um, map it out and find out what you want, whether it's a partnership, whether it's buying a practice, whether it's setting up on your own, where do you want to be in a couple of years time? Very good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of service do you want to provide as well? I always think it's a good one, you know? A lot of, Huge, yeah. A lot of vets say, oh, I want to help gauge the, the success of their practice by the full-time vet equivalents, but you know, I want to have a three and one rotor or whatever, but like, what kind of service do you want to provide as well? Because that's it's going to be niche now as well, isn't it, in this day and age? I think so. And I think um, a lot of practices are guilty of trying to satisfy every single client that comes in the door. Um, and you can't be that practice. You can't cater for um, your really high-end service practice that you want to appeal to a really discerning client and still satisfy satisfy a, a budget conscious market you can't be all things to all people and I think you need to figure out where you sit on that spectrum and I remember I'm going to a talk I think it was in a London vet show a couple of years ago where someone spoke about that and they kind of made an analogy of what type of car do, would you equate your practice to would it be a uh, I can't remember what type of cars. I'm not very good at cars, but like, would it be a middle of the road Volkswagen? Would it be a high end snazzy BMW or would it be a, a low end car that's 20 years old or whatever it was? I can't, I can't remember the exact analogy, but I thought it was a really good thing, you know, to sort of where do you sit on that spectrum, you know, and who is going to be your client, your typical client and who you're going to try and appeal to, because ultimately you can, if you're trying to satisfy all of your all the different demographics and all the different types of clients that come into the practice you're not going to do a good job for all of them you know so yeah. i think michelle you're on the yeah. nose there like you know um especially nowadays i think you know pet owners are I, i'm only talking for pet owners because that's all i know but pet owners are very discerning now and they're becoming they're increasingly becoming more and more discerning and i think in five years time they the demands of clients as much and all as we clients are putting pressure on us at the moment um i think the demand of clients in five years time will be far ahead of where they are today yeah um and i think we as a profession as an industry need to rise to that and potentially litigious as well yeah and you know what that, that's that's always been there i think and um more litigious <laughs> yeah i think look i, I grew up where there was no Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in a veterinary world where there was no Google and people weren't um, weren't able to get his information as easily as they are nowadays. And I, I, 
and the, 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 the sort of rush to the VCI and the involvement of the VDS um, hasn't actually increased since post-Google, from today, since pre-Google. Mm -hmm. Like, I still remember clients would, would write a handwritten letter to the VEC Council and make a complaint and you go to the VCI and, you know, it was all very um, tedious. Um, there was no emails. And I think that um, clients, they're noisier and they're quicker to complain. Do they go to the VEC Council as much as they did 10, 15 years ago? I think they probably do. They're probably about the same. But I think the more definitely, obviously, quicker to go on Facebook, like that's judge and jury now. Yeah. No, I think, um, and to be honest with you, I find it more stressful when they go onto Facebook or on social media and give us a bad review rather than going to the vet council. Because when they go to the vet council, you know where you know either you did wrong or you made a mistake or there's nothing to see here. And yeah. then you have the VDS to back your corner the whole way through. And no matter how much of a mistake you made, the VDS are brilliant and they'll have your back the whole way through the whole process. But 99 times every 100, like most uh, of our complaints that go to the Veterinary Council um, are about communication of a, of a case rather than we did something wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and that can be seen through the, that can, that, that can be discerned by the Veterinary Council with the assistance of your own input on the VDS, um, whereas on Facebook or on social media, you're-, you're Things can get legs. And oh, it gets wrong, like it, yeah. it's, it's gone, you know. Yeah. And it, it gets really stressful, you know. And it's mm. um, you know, no matter whether you're right or wrong, or whether the, the complaint has credence or not, it's really stressful. And it's like you're guilty just by virtue of being blacklisted in a, in a notice board. Or and I've often noticed that people will leave Google reviews on practices, and they've never set foot in them. Yeah. you know like I don't know what it is are they bots or what what is it because it does then affect your overall rating and I've often because I look at this because it's part of my job you know the other practices and the reviews and their ratings and things like that and you'd see the odd one and like practices very well like response them and say sorry Mary we are struggling to find any records of you and Toby like <laughs> please give us a call so we can discuss because Mary and Toby never have set foot in their practice before yeah. but like I don't even know what that's about but like that exists as well yeah yeah I actually yeah and look and that that's stressful for a practice you know no matter how big or small you are it's um it's never nice none of us look none of us like been criticized especially in, in an open forum like that but um and that's a you know everyone's trying to do their best trying to deliver a really good service um to the best of their ability um you know and it does you know there's a whole team involved there's a whole team affected by that one star review you know yeah. like there's, there's front of house there's nurses there's vets um you know and it kind of you know unfortunately quicker people are quicker to complain than they are to 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 give you praise, praise. it's yeah. like you only get the box of chocolates when you when you uh, do the PTS, you know, and they, they forget about all the times that you you, you save the dog after the RTA yeah. or or rat yeah. poison or something like that, you know. But that's, when you when you when so you uh, when you do a PTS, they bring the box of chocolates, which is lovely too. <laughs> but speaking of social media, and but there's a lot of positives. You you guys are really active on social media as a you know a brand, and and it's you know you do a fantastic jobs so it's not all negative like you 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 definitely your your instagram and your facebook is is very educational and it's 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 really engaging as well so it's 
That's great well done. Hear. Yeah. Well, look, I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't take zero credit for it. We, uh, yeah, but no, we've got, the the guys are brilliant. Um, and we we have a policy that everyone can have their phone in in work and on their on their uh, in their pocket, whatever, and they can use it, and everyone has access to our Facebook and all our social media channels. So, uh, when you come, you you're given the password to the account, which is. Uh, uh, Ooh, brave. Well, you log in. I can't remember how you log in. Whatever way you're allowed to log in, or you get access to it. Um, and people, they are given guidelines. Say, look, this. We, we try and put it, keep it positive. You know, we mm-hmm. don't. Um, we try and keep it upbeat and keep it positive. And uh, everyone, yeah, everyone's allowed to post on it. You know, and take pictures of the cute and the cuddly, um, and anything that's weird and wonderful. We make sure you know we bounce it off each other and say, will this fly? Or is this good enough to put up on social media? Um, but the guys kind of, um, they all they all do it. There's no, it's very rarely that we put up something that is not, um, I suppose, um, suitable. Yeah, like it, mm. one of the guy, one of them, Hannah, recently she she rescued a bulldog about eighteen months ago, and he has a multitude of problems, and uh, he hasn't got long on this earth uh, ahead of him um but uh, he's a super cute dog and anna takes uh, very proud of him and all the work that's gone into him and that she all the work that she put into him um and she has taken pictures of him and put him on social media just but that was obviously wasn't um it was more for uh i suppose her um how proud she was of rescuing him and all the work that she'd done with him but obviously um you know social media is very sensitive around short no breeze at, at the moment and rightly so and we support that but we also need to show the side of rescuing these guys that not everyone is prepared to take on or a lot of people get these dogs because of the cute and cuddliness factor of them without realizing the amount of work that goes in a lot of them are surrendered and abandoned and uh, this was one that had a, a happy story after all that um you know he was um he wasn't heading the right direction and we put a lot of work into him and well Hannah did she looked after him and nursed him back to health um so we just were mindful of all that and sometimes mm. you know you can yeah you can walk yourself into um a social media conversation that you may ne- not necessarily want to be there food is yeah. always the best one food would get a Food will bring out everybody's opinions you know <laughs> um we, we sell royal canon in the practice and uh I don't I can't remember what the situation was we haven't done it ever since but I think it was kind of um show us your 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 dog in the snow or something like that and the winner the cutest picture gets uh uh wins a bag of Royal Cannon food and it wasn't sponsored by Royal Cannon we just said Mm. give a bag of Royal Cannon food and everyone everyone came out for an opinion on the food from raw food advocates to uh Roy Cannon killed my dog advocates to uh oh everything in between. So yeah. Duh, duh. My dog got frostbite while I was taking the photograph of the dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was Royal Cannon's fault. Like the, the raw food and the natural food people at the moment are very militant, I have to say. Yes, and uh, I have no <laughs> no comment. No comment, no comment. In any of this. Okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on record yes, yes yes as long as your dog is fit happy and healthy uh yeah. support any uh oh. any any diet yeah yeah no no look so yeah look social media is a brilliant tool it's a great way to get out in front of your clients 
it's it's easy it's cheap everyone's familiar with it but um yeah you, you need to be on your toes all the time and sometimes the things that you think will elicit a response goes nowhere and then something that you would never think twice about goes viral and you go how the hell did that happen and mm. uh, i yeah it's bad, bad, <laughs> bad, bad. so speaking of this was the challenges of you know social media and things what do you think is the biggest challenge in the veterinary industry at the moment um oh well look i think we're after coming through a huge um period for the industry i think it's been a, a transformational uh period COVID has been transformational for the world obviously um but if i just purely narrow it down to the veterinary industry i think it's been transformational from a small animal perspective um loads of people went out and got pets and that has created a huge demand on uh, veterinary services and then on our time and on our resources. And obviously, as everyone knows, as a, a very hands-on profession, you've only so much time you can give in the day. And, um, you know, a lot of practices are stretched. And I think that's going to be a trend that we're going to see into the future. And I think at the moment, we're probably in a bit of a a point where all these puppies now are hitting the one two year stage and pet ownership population will probably stabilize but i think in five or six years time all these guys are going to get sick or start to get more sick and get injured and you know start to come problems as as with every dog as we see in the, the lifespan of a dog you know did the uncash um but more so in dogs here they, they start to as they get older they start to come into the vets more, I think in five or six years time, we're going to have a huge, even bigger demand for our services. And the vet colleges need to respond now to that because it takes three, four five years for vets and nurses to come out of college. And, you know, these guys, they, the universities do have a role to play in all this. And I think if, if the universities, as we know now in, that, that service Ireland so like you know you've got UCD you've got some of the UK colleges and you've got Budapest and a couple of other Eastern European colleges but unless they increase their their the number of places in vet schools I think we're probably going to be in for a bit of a, a problem a, a bigger problem in five or six years time in terms of access to services for pet owners you know and we've seen it certainly around Dublin some practices stop taking on new pet new clients um, I think if we fast forward to five or six years time, I think that will be very commonplace. Like we, I, I, we can't get a GP in our locality here. And, uh, you know, like for regional towns, like people are driving 30 miles to get, um, to go to get a GP that will see them. Um, so I think we could be faced with that uh, in five or six years time, unless there is something dramatically done. I think that also feeds into specialities as well, because pet owners are getting more discerning they're obviously got the humanization of pets as well so we're going to be more demand for higher end services and referral services i think that the route to becoming a specialist needs to be more accessible to people working in practice now more mm. than ever because yeah. um people are you know they're 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 it, it's quite restrictive to go into to do a, a diploma um for four years and and have a uh, have a life you know um and be able to afford to live or maybe raise a family 
on that type of salary. I think there needs to be a blend of being exposed to that type of high-end veterinary, but also being able to work for a sustainable salary while you're getting that diploma. Um, and maybe there can be a, there should, there maybe there's, there's moves afoot to make it easier for people in general practice to get a diploma. I think that's really, really important if we're preparing for the future for the next five or 10 years. And I think there'll probably be a, there'll probably be more private veterinary colleges in Western Europe over the next couple of years. There has to be, I can't see how, unless the, the, the existing colleges increase their places. Um, I can't see why there won't be private veterinary colleges. I think there's some in Southern Europe already. I think they will creep up to Northern and Western Europe over the next couple of years. Very interesting, Green. Yeah, it would be nice to see more vet places for vet students in Ireland eventually, um, whether that's a new vet school or expanding our current vet school. But I just think it's a passion. I, I went abroad to study. So, it, you know, if I could have stayed in Ireland, it would have been lovely. But it wasn't um, to be. But I, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world now. But, you know, it, it, there's always people that like I love being a vet and I wouldn't have changed it. So it's, you know, there's, there's people out there that want to be vets and um, we might just not get the points for in the leaving that we might need. But we're still we still make good vets at the end of the day. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think yeah. I think that you look at, um, you know, like like what's happening in the, the, the farm animal uh, side of the industry, you know, like I think we need to look at how we structure vet school and how we uh, how we structure the 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 admitting of students to vet schools, and is that fit for purpose? I don't have the answers. I don't know what the answer is, but is it fit for purpose? Do we need people with a huge amount of points doing veterinary? Because at the moment it's just the law of supply and demand. You know, there are X amount of spaces. So, and there's so many people applying for it. So the, the highest 80 get, the, the, yeah. the, get the, the places in the college. And, you know, it, there needs to be sort of a, a tracking of where these students end up. You know, you know they, they, they go into school today, but in 15 years time, where are they? And like, why are they not in practice anymore? And that's a multitude of reasons as well. But is there, you know, are we, are we creating the right environment for people to come into vet school in the first place? You know, and how come that people can go to Budapest or Warsaw or wherever they go to and become, become good vets or become vets or, or qualified vets and we come back and be good vets and uh, good uh, contributors to the veterinary industry in Ireland, but yet, we export the problem out to Budapest rather than trying to address it here. Um, and from what I understand, I don't know what it is, but I gather like the fees in Budapest aren't exactly um, uh, cheap either, you know? So there is no. an option here to do that, but I think there needs to be a, a bigger conversation around that and, um, and trying to facilitate a, a more rounded um, student going into veterinary that is, um, maybe more suited to large animal or more suited to small animal or industry or research or whatever it might be, but we need to feed a lot of different 
uh, industries or uh, disciplines out of the one vet school or the one course. And yeah. I don't know whether that's going to work, especially with the evolution of veterinary as we see it over the next five or 10 years. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. It's so vast, the amount of, uh, uh, in the end, you know, positions that vets can go into, but it doesn't seem, and I mean, I've no statistics on this, but you only need to look around to see that the majority don't seem to still be in clinical practice. So, you know, are the candidates right in the, in the get-go or, or what, what else can be done to make sure there's a good, or, I don't know, a different selection process or... Yeah, along look, those lines, additional, additional things or aptitude. I don't know the answer. Yeah, and look, it's it's tough. And look, there's there's like there's lots of factors in, at play at why people don't stay in the industry. And you know, everyone we're trying to address that in our own practice. Um, we're trying to um do our bit, and the industry is a long way to go to get there. Um, and there are lots of factors at play from day one right up to where we are now having this conversation and I think that um it will improve it is improving the industry is improving it's 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 come a long way um in the last number of years and still has a long way to go um for vets and for nurses um and uh, and for front of house teams and I think that um it can be a good place and it can be a sustainable long-term career for people but it needs to um i think we need to have enough people there in the first place to make the job less stressful for the people who are doing it already i think that's that's a that's a tricky sort of chicken and egg situation i don't know where that where you start with that where's the chicken or the egg i know and yeah well look let's watch this space charles and see what happens over the next couple of years and yeah. hope yeah we'll see so you could be lecturing there in a, in a, in a vet school in a couple of years. We could be like, uh, remember that time you were on the Vet Space podcast? I'm not, I'm not organized <laughs> enough. I'm not organized enough. You saw my handwriting. Uh, <laughs> um, but while we're on kind of students and things, what is your main advice for um, maybe a, a new grad or, you know, yeah, recent grad? What's your kind of top tips? Oh, my God. Um, Go go work in the place for half a day, do a couple of hours there. It's it's culture, culture, culture. Like it's the first thing, it's the only thing that should matter is what is the culture of that practice. Um, and I had a, I had a really good job in Limerick and I loved it. And um and the culture there was super. And it was really, um, I learned so much. I built so many relationships and um and just got on so well. And I didn't realize how good it was like everything you don't realize how good it is until you go to a, another job and the, the culture where I moved to just was entirely different and um it, it, it wasn't as in, as enjoyable at all and um I think that is huge from a learning perspective that you it's the culture that's right for you because we're all different and it's really important that the team that you spend eight hours a day with or 10 hours a day with um, are right for you and that you're going to enjoy working with them and they are going to match your objectives for your career or your work-life balance or for your work life. Um, you know, it's back to the conversation we had earlier about uh, if you're setting up a practice, you know, what are your recommendations? I was saying set your goals and what are your goals? Where do you want to be in three to five years? And that's the same for 
someone starting off in their in their work uh, life is where do you want to be and is this practice going to help you on that stepping stone uh, journey to those goals and um, I think culture is just such a massive massive um, influence on that and it's something that you can't write down but you know when you go into it you can't touch it or feel it but when you go into a practice you can smell it you know you know I can interview someone here and I can say that we're all singing all dancing I'll be the best version of myself in an interview where you go into a prep room or a busy clinic and you see everyone working together and you see that dynamic happening and then you see how people interact with each other how they speak with each other how they treat you how they engage with you and what's expected of you and in, in a two hours of a working interview, you get to see a whole different perspective of a practice and you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And it's, um, I think that is massive um, in terms of how you might feel, uh, make yourself feel at home. And can you see yourself in this team? Can you see yourself chatting to these people, having a cup of tea at, at lunchtime or going for a pint of them after work or whatever it might be. And um, so, yeah, I think a happy team and you can go anywhere. Um, with a happy team and you can learn a lot more from a happy team uh, a mediocre happy team you learn a lot more from a mediocre happy team than you will do from a really high-end unhappy team it's very good advice <laughs> don't know if that makes sense a rabbit it does all about the culture <laughs> and all yeah. about the money yeah 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 no so. that makes perfect sense so what are what has been your biggest life lesson this is very you asked me this you said this to me earlier on I was kind of going wow it was a really profound question and, uh, <laughs> we love our profound questions uh, but it's really simple um and uh, it's to work with people that for me I'm really lucky I've got to work with people that are better than me um loads of them and it's just so that to me I've learned so much from them and um and it's been phenomenal. I've improved as a as a as a person, as a as a vet, as a as a practice owner because of working with these people, and um and then uh, getting out of their way then as well. So letting them do what they're really good at and not interfering, um just because uh, I, I I'm the the boss in the practice doesn't mean I have to be. Uh, at every de every decision making uh, process or uh, in every corner of the practice, and I think uh, letting good people get on with what they do well um, is really really important. And for me, um, it's been a huge uh, it's it's been hugely inspirational for me, and it's been hugely enjoyable as well and stressful sometimes. I won't lie, <laughs> but um, it's been hugely. Um, it's been it's been hugely enjoyable for me and that has probably been the the biggest lesson i've i've learned down through the years more very good advice you'll be writing a book next <laughs> i need that austin donnelly austin donnelly wrote the book i, I don't think i'm going to read that one to be honest maybe you could like co-write one with him <laughs> yeah he, he he would he would be he would deserve all the credit because he's uh, he's a good uh, he's a good story writer so what do you do then charles to unwind or maintain your own well-being or maybe you don't maybe you're a stress head <laughs> no no it, it's really important it is um and uh, look it is a it is a stressful job and then running uh, a practice is a stressful job um i'm very lucky i have three small kids at home and a very 
uh, uh, patience and understanding away from a raid. And uh, we have four donkeys and two sheep and a, a dog called Nelly, which is here with me on my lap today. Oh, I can um, see Nelly, yeah. And uh, uh, that keeps me busy. And then I do uh, wakeboarding, go wakeboarding um, oh, to fun. try and uh, declutter my mind. And um, that is a, a good way of um, yeah making sure I forget everything. So that's kind of my... Uh, my is that on a lake, Charles, or where do you? It do? is, yeah, on a lake behind a boat. Um, I'm looking up. There's a guy down the road here, uh, about ten minutes down the road, uh, has a lake, and uh, he set up a, a club, a water skiing and wakeboarding club. So I'm very lucky to be able to go down there most nights during the summer. And um, now that the evenings are closed in, we'll be wrapping up. We went out last weekend and froze. <laughs> uh, our fingertips off and other nether regions and uh um but yeah we wrap it up for the winter but um yeah it's a great it's really really important no matter what job you're in it's really really important to have some outlet um and something that you can do um with or without veterinary people always important sometimes to try and do it without people who work in veterinary sometimes as a as an industry we can be uh we can hang out a bit too much with each other and uh yeah. There are actually other people out there that you can have conversations with. Don't <laughs> talk about don't talk anything about veterinary. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, good way to I tried make. wakeboarding once in um Ballyhas Lakes in oh, cool. near Mallow and Cork and my my cousin um is from Mallow and she actually goes there all the time and she's got really into it and like bought like an eight hundred euro board and all this and yeah, yeah. she's gas. But yeah. um, I think you could spend a lot of money on wake wakeboarding. Yeah, it's like yes, one of you can. yes, you can. Bottomless pits. <laughs> and you know what? I've I've learned that uh, no matter how much money you throw at wakeboarding, you're still crap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, and I am one of those people. Uh, I am one of those people who, uh, yeah, probably turns up with gear that looks uh, mildly impressive. And then uh, I'm not very impressive when I go out. But uh, look, but it's, no uh, clue. That's it, like me and Polo. Well, actually, yeah. I don't even have the gear, but. <laughs> and you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, uh, it's yeah. about doing something. It's about getting out. And uh, it's about just trying to do something different um, and something that you enjoy. And it's not about, look, I'm too old to be, to, to be competing with anyone or trying to worry about what my Instagram versus reality looks like. Uh, I, I know what my reality looks like and I'm perfectly happy with it, um, but it's just about getting out and doing something. So uh, it is important um, to get work-life balance right. Um, so, mm. so important. And, um, you know, as an industry, we can struggle with that, um, especially during the busy times when it's important that when it's, uh, when you're less, when you're not in the madness of it all, that you do get to, break out and do something that you like that uh whether it's hiking or walking or playing football or whatever it's important to do it yeah 100 percent. and charles i'm sure that over the years you've maybe gained some funny stories but this is always my favorite part of the podcast what is your funniest veterinary story so I was, in the, I was in the office this morning and I actually Rhonda said if you can you remember any of the funny stories that we've had and we had loads of funny stories and Everyone came up to the point and said, you're not telling this. Make sure you don't say that. You don't say this. <laughs> this has been recorded and lots of people are going to read. So we, uh, we had to cut out some of it. But I remember um, uh, one was a basset hound. And uh, I knew his name for years afterwards. He's dead since. Um, Scooby Jennings. That was his name. Scooby Jennings. Um, there's no GDPR requirement here for checking dogs. No. Either, but anyway, um, he, uh, Scooby came in. Um, 
for he was vomiting diarrhea for for a while and it was, i think it was around christmas time if i remember rightly and scooby came in and feel something his abdomen so anyway we said look we better take an x-ray and make sure there's nothing there and he's a big fat dog and you know it was hard to know what was going on so x-rayed him anyway and on the x-ray it was a metal object it was perfectly shaped you know very distinctive on the x-ray as a metal object is and it kind of looks like a a teacup or something. I wasn't really too sure what it was. Um, so I said, right, out and said, look, this is what we have to do. We have to go in for, um, we have to go and do an X-lap. So we went in and we did the X-lap, um, myself and Sophia, and uh, it was a nurse, at, uh, or still is a nurse, um, and we did an X-lap and we removed a sex toy out of the yeah, the I knew I was thinking, I was like, <laughs> so uh, I anyway, kind of myself and Sophia at the time, just going back a few years, didn't I, I? Anyway, I'm not in any comfort area to have this conversation with anyone. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> so popped it into the kidney dish, and we just went on with our um, on with our surgery, you know, and we kind of didn't really talk about it that much <laughs> <laughs> I said right sure I'll give um I'll give the Jenningses a ring here and let them know that the surgery went well and um that we're out of the woods and blah 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 and so I was going made the call and kind of washed over the whole details and said sure look we'll uh, hopefully we did let her home tonight or tomorrow morning and sure uh, look you'll see how it goes so that was fine anyway so as when it came to discharge it was just like nobody could discharge him like you know <laughs> so unfortunately uh, I did something that uh, I'm, I, I hate doing and I'm never proud of but I pulled the, the, the boss's prerogative of saying I'm not discharging this dog because I can't <laughs> have this conversation and uh, but yeah the owner was unfazed by it, it weren't as, wasn't as phased as we were so uh, we were more embarrassed by them but anyway look that was a uh, so did they find out that that it was oh yes yeah. Sophia, didn't return Sophia, it no Sophia in, in the, a little bag sampled I, love it. I wasn't i don't know how it went out and i didn't get into the specifics of it uh you know but um <laughs> sophia discharged scooby and uh did go through um the explanation of uh what we what we found and what we took out and uh, I think she showed them the x-ray as well. She was quite proud of the whole journey. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, that was um, that was the one that, that should we, be in the book now, Charles. That, that be was the book. one that we deemed suitable for uh, a recording. That we well, that's the, the, that's the first story that involves sex toys on the on the Best Face podcast. Yeah. But so. now I'm I'm very intrigued as to what are the random objects that people have found on oh my God. We So I think we'll have to put a box a on our box. story. Yes. I, I, yeah, I think one of the guys took out six or seven golf balls out of a German Shepherd one day. Kind oh, of my felt goodness. It. And um, I think, bizarrely, like kind of one of those things you didn't really think too much about and uh, went in and didn't realise, thought it'd be one or two. And I think it was six or seven they took out, like, of golf balls. Wow. And, yeah, handed them all back as well, you know. No, <laughs> but, um, yeah, go. look, I'm sure there's a lot more weird and wonderful um stuff out there and plenty of we've had a few um when we're talking about that today we actually just we've, we've had a few um dogs have swallowed drugs you know in in sachets of bags whether they be oh, um of the herbal content or maybe of the white powder but yeah we've oh, taken, we've taken a, a, a good few drugs out of uh, out of dogs um at house parties and stuff like that you know Jeannie, Mac. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't get that in cork now no <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's all. Good folk, of course. Absolutely, yes, 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 yes. She always has better spoken. Yeah, yeah. Only up in dirty Dublin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those dogs up there. Yeah. Well, you've said it. I, I just, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, My father-in-law lives in Perlis, and uh, he swore that COVID was only a Dublin thing for for the, like, the first three months. There's no COVID down here. No lockdown needed. It's only up in Dublin. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Oh, well, we did have the lowest rates for a long time. Just saying. Temporary. Yeah. Okay. Sure, I'm Mountain Horse and Jockey. I'm your father-in-law's neighbour. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. 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 I'll show you down the road. Hmm. Michelle was hugging and kissing there for the whole COVID. What was that? Hugging and kissing. Here's some yoke. Uh, she wasn't <laughs> okay. like the raw dog food conversation yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've nothing to offer here i'm sorry no, no comments it's charles uh, well we, we've i think we've come to the end of our podcast with you charles and uh, you know we've definitely got a, a much more of an insight into um your story and yeah it's just fascinating how it all started in uh, practice in County Meath and now there's 15 practices and wakeboarding and and lots and lots of wise words in between as well mm. yeah, well, yeah. no about that but anyway look thanks Miriam for having me and uh, I really love what you guys are doing keep it up and uh, it's really um, it's lovely to have that in the industry I think it's really important um, I think you I, do, I don't know but uh uh, don't underestimate your impact on uh, on the community, on the veterinary community, and probably wider at large. I'm just seeing it very myopically here from uh, in within our veterinary bubble, but uh, you are doing a great job. It's it's very inspirational, and you keep you're giving plenty of laughs along the way and plenty of entertainment. I think that's needed, especially in the current climate. So, uh, um, yeah. but but plenty of support as well, which is obviously always uh, appreciated. And uh, look, uh, well done, and. Uh, uh, I'm very uh, flattered and humbled to be invited onto this. Thank you very thanks. much. Thank you, oh, thank you, Charles. That's lovely. Oh, yeah. thanks, Charles. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, would do, would God, you like, like to? What? <laughs> that was very nice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh okay. Agreed. Sometimes when we're have sometimes when we're having nervous breakdowns, wondering what in the name of God we're doing, like because there's so much work in this. And then we get someone says something nice like that, or we get a nice message from someone, and we think, ah, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it is. You, you kind of, especially now in a virtual world, you don't know who's listening or who's watching, and it's, mm. you know, it's only when you, you you never you can never underestimate how heavy your land your words land with somebody, um, and what resonates with me mightn't resonate with the next person, and uh, but you'll always have an impact on somebody. And it's really important when you do have that impact on someone that you can change their outlook on something or if someone's having a crap day that you can, you know, put it in perspective or help them put it in perspective just by listening to um, what you guys have to say or a conversation with somebody. And, uh, you know, if that makes a difference to, to one person, sort of look, it's, it has to be worthwhile doing, you know? So yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah we always very much. Charles, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and to find out more, go to vetspaceireland.ie. I'd like to give a special thank you to Lloyd and Cowan Recruitment 
for sponsoring this podcast. To find out more about them, you can find a link to their website in the show notes or more information on our website under partners page. And don't forget, if you were listening to this podcast, to tag us on all your social medias at Best Space Ireland and just give us a like and a share and just tell all your friends to have a look.